0: Mike! Mr. Michael. you you, Abraham Lincoln as an astronaut. (laughs) You like that? You know, the funny thing is, is I was thinking the other day of posting, because I saw something online. I I was actually thinking of posting, if Scott Gardner ever does get to space, and he doesn't see Abraham Lincoln in the viewport, he's (laughs) going to be utterly disappointed.
1: (laughs) Yes, I would be. (laughs) Floating in space in a chair, of course. Yeah. Back to the band.
0: So, at some point, I'm going to go through the audio from Tales of the JSA, G- and I'm going to get the conversation where you and I said we would never do digital. And then the next time we record, I'm going to put it in there with laughter behind it.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> because, we digital holy crap. so dirty.
0: We <laughs> were. <laughs> Uh, we're gonna be physical to the day we die. He gets an iPad, I get an iPad, and it's like suddenly life changes for everyone.
1: Yep. So, <laughs> what well, does when when you realize how you can have your entire comic collection at your fingertips and have it weigh less than five pounds mm-hmm. and, and take up less than a square foot? You know, it's like or it's like a dream. Or country. I don't
0: have to dig for something. That's the biggest thing for me. So that I don't have to go into that freaking closet and take a day out of my life you know, trying to pull all the book to talk about.
1: Yeah. You know, the, the one thing I did do the last time I reorganized was, you, you've seen where I have my books, Scott. Uh, I have shelving right. now, so I don't have books piled on top, I don't have boxes piled on top of each other, where if I decided I wanted something in the bottom box I have to move six boxes. That's no longer the case. So that that's a plus. But it is still a pain in the ass to dig into boxes when you can just click on a file and open it.
2: But you know, on the subject of the digital stuff, um, so today we had uh, workmen at the house. Um, the The landlord came a while ago and and wanted an assessment. You know, since we've lived here now as long as we have, on basically, you know, what what needed maintenance and what. And uh, he's been as good as his word because he sent people around that have been, you know, taking care of all the issues and everything. But anyway, there were people here today. So um, while they were doing that, I just had to kind of putter around and just kind of be here at the house while they were doing that. So one of the things I decided to do since I've been doing this uh, massive Marvel read was to go through my actual physical issues in my vast unread pile And pull out all the ones that I have now read thanks to reading them digitally and switch them into the other pile. And I went through and I did that, and it took me probably a couple hours to do all that. And when I basically got to the end of the project, I realized how silly this really has become at this point that, you know, I'm taking up all this massive space and, you know, I've got this big old pile of books in my hand and everything. I'm like, so I, I have the time, you know, I, I had the money to buy these. I bagged them, I boarded them, I put them in these boxes. Now I'm going back, spending more time to go back in the boxes to pull them out and to shift them into another pile, saying that I have read them. In the meantime, I've never actually cracked the books open at all. I read everything digitally on the iPad. So I think if I'm able to do, you know, get this uh this drive that I want. That basically what I'm going to do is once I have all the comics on the drive, I'm going to start going through that drive and making sure that I have a digital comic, you know, a digital copy of what I have in my paper collection. And I think I'm I'm finally going to do what I've long said. I think the the days of my having a paper collection are coming to an end because I'm like, what what is the point? I, I can't remember the last time I actually – you know read any great quantity of the paper comics about the only time i ever do is if i can't find a copy of it digitally then i'm like well i guess i gotta go dig it out and and you know read it in the paper but it's just you know i'm reading everything on the ipad so i just don't see the point anymore of of holding on to these you know and we're looking at moving within you know We'd like to move when Logan, you know, after Logan graduates, and that's only another like year and a half. And I know I absolutely fucking dread the the prospect of moving and having to tow all this shit again.
0: Mm.
2: So, yeah,
0: I'm I'm in the process of starting to get everything together to do it. Uh, I put up a bunch of hardcovers and stuff of stuff that i don't want anymore you know to get money up for the trip but my plan for the next year or two is to just slowly dig through the books i have make the heart you know the decision do is this something i want to keep i mean i'm going to keep my superman books i mean that's pretty obvious Uh, i want to keep my Batman's, my green lanterns my flashes but come may i'm going to be going through my wonder woman collection and putting everything i can up on ebay because that's going to be the best time to sell that stuff So it's just I'm I'm with you. It's just between between not only like the stuff I have in CBR form, but every once in a while when there's like a sale on comiXology, I'll pick up books there, too. Like when they're like a buck or 60 cents a piece, uh, because often they're nicer looking than than the scans that I have. Uh, So between that, it's just like, why keep them at this point? You know why? You know, it, it, you know. I went on this thing during my twenties and thirties where I wanted this giant comic collection, and now I'm like, wow. I'm doing the math. I'm never reading all of these, right? Um, and you know, it's like, who am I going to pass them on to? And worse yet, if something does happen, I don't want Rachel to have to deal with them. <laughs> so yeah, I, still, I
1: still live in this fantasy world where Matthew is going to want my comics when I'm gone. <laughs> and and it is a fantasy world because he probably has no interest in, I mean he does have a, he has I think two short boxes of comics in his room which I'm not sure he, he claims he reads them I don't know but I, I would say the biggest reason I'm not moving mine is probably inertia just that I'm too lazy to just go through the process of setting up the eBay account and starting to post stuff well I put up um, there was a the
0: very first Harley Quinn series
1: yeah, from 2000. Was, they, they were bidding on it like crazy, right?
0: I have the first 25 issues and the Our Worlds at War special. I put them all up there at a buck a piece, and now it's well over a hundred dollars. I don't know why these people want these comics. I don't really care, but holy crap! If you've got Harley Quinn comics, Scott, now is the time.
1: Unfortunately, I don't <laughs> yeah.
2: have any of those. I have uh, her first appearance, the the Batgirl or Batman Adventures that's number That's a five hundred
0: dollar book right now.
2: Yeah, I,
1: I need to slap I, that I sucker
2: would, up on an eBay and get rid of it. You, if I
1: were you, I'd put that up now because that's not going to get more valuable. Right. I mean, odds yeah. are it's just going to go down in a You know when. You,
2: Shit, that could be my that could be my plane ticket right there.
1: Yeah, I'm just because Bob
0: Fisher sold his for four hundred. Really? Yeah. Wow. Cause I, cause he he posted that it was up. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go check this out. Maybe I'll bid on it. Three hundred and ninety three dollars. I'm not holy gonna be on that at all. So, holy shit. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I wish I was on the ball in 1993. It's like you know it, you know if I if I used a time machine, I would go back in time and kill Hitler. I'd go back in time and get up every copy of Amazing Spider-Man 300 and the first <laughs> Deadpool. Action and
1: Comics number one, my friend. Why are you using I, a time machine to get Deadpool?
0: Okay, because... Because... Action Comics number one, one, is a national treasure. And two... That's... That's a high-profile thing. One of those sells... <laughs> so you sell news. a
1: couple of them and somebody's going to say, Hey, Billy has a time machine.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you have, like, comics that are a little more common... You can actually probably make as much money but just over time. But still, yeah, Bailey's got a time machine. Why is Bailey constantly putting Action Comics number one up on for, for auction? You know what?
1: <laughs> Bailey Bailey's got so many copies of Action Comics number One it's turning into Turok now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then you gotta figure out which printing you have because there were like six printings of it, too, so
2: I'll take I I wonder what a, what a shitty copy of... Uh, what, what's the first Deadpool? Is that New Mutants 98? Uh-huh. I wonder what a shitty copy of that would go for, because my copy of that is not in good shape.
0: Mine was fine to very fine, and Bertoni actually ended up winning it for $90. Holy shit. Uh, first appearance of Rocket Raccoon is a fifty to sixty dollar book at this point too. Hulk two seventy
1: one. Um, I don't I think, think I have that one, unfortunately. I think I, think I do two seventy one.
0: Yeah, because I I put my crappy copy up and it's already up to like ten bucks, and I paid two dollars for it at a con, and and that and that was an interesting thing for me because I was trying to keep like a solid Hulk run. But right. then I'm like, you know what? If I want to read this, I've got like 15 different ways I can do it. It doesn't matter if I have a solid run. I just want to keep. I want to keep the books that mean something to me. Like I thought, you know, I my, thought
2: this was not his first. You're you're talking the one where where Rocket's wearing like sneakers and he says, "You got it, Jay Jaws." Is uh-huh. that the one? That's the one. Yeah. I, I'm looking at the. That's his first. Yeah. I didn't think that was his first I do appearance. Have that. Yeah, I do have a copy. I didn't think I did, but I do. Well, I'll tell you what. If I'm going to sell that, then I'm going to go all out and I'm just going to get rid of all the damn Hulk ones then because I, a lot of the reason I've been holding on to all my Hulks is I, I've been tempted many times to sell my 181, but then that would make a hole. See, this is the problem. Is I get, I get into collector mentality like this. That's why I haven't yet sold my... Batman Adventures with with Harley Quinn because then I would have a hole. I have the whole rest of the series and I don't want to have a hole. But that's stupid if that book is going for that kind of money to hold onto it just because I don't want a hole in my collection. That's just dumb.
0: Yeah. I mean, and that's that's where I've made a lot of my decisions. It's like, you know, I I picked up really cheap the Perez Wonder Woman Omnibus, the first volume that does like the first 25 issues. Really Mm -hmm. nice printing, really easy to read. Why am I holding on
1: to my single issues at this point? Okay, I according mean, to Wikipedia, oh. Rocket Raccoon's first appearance is in the Mangod magazine with you know the Marvel preview issue with Mangod in it. What? That's what it says. The one with with uh, Hugo Danner? Oh wait, well no, I'm sorry, sorry. you know what, I clicked on I got Rocket Raccoon. And then I click. it said first appearance Marvel, Pre- Marvel preview number seven. I clicked on that, and what it did was it brought me to a link for Marvel preview, not for Marvel. Ah, uh, okay. Seven. So it shows the man got issue. It says an umbrella title that showcased a different heroic adventure, science fiction, or sword and sorcery character in virtually every issue. The title introduced the Marvel comics characters Dominic Fortune in issue two, Star Lord in issue four, and Rocket Raccoon in issue seven. Oh. Huh.
2: See that's what I thought, but I have seen many times that issue of the Hulk listed as his first appearance, though.
1: So yeah, I wonder that if was, the, well, that must be his first appearance in a comic. In a comic, a that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah, I wonder yeah. what what Marvel Preview number seven goes for.
2: I saw today where the the first appearance of Group is going for Mad Money, and that makes me so upset because I had that damn book and I sold. It. And I mean, I was happy with what I got out of it at the time. I think I got like sixty bucks out of it at the time, but shit. I mean, that's like several hundred dollars now, and I'm like, damn. But you know,
1: who knew? You know, but who would Santa have ever, ever expected? Considerably it? older book. Pre- What's that? Number seven had Santana on the cover. Would you say, Mike? Preview? What
0: was the name of the, of the magazine Rocket?
1: Marvel Preview, number 7
2: Let's see. <coughs> I do not have that one.
0: Okay. I, I never trust these because they're a bunch of buy-it-nows uh, with people with all kinds of wacky stuff. I always look for the actual auctions. Right. So, so the one auction I see up right now, now this is slabbed. So, you know, some did that. That's up. That's got 15 bids is up to five hundred and sixty five dollars. Holy shit. The unslabbed one is up to thirty five dollars. So. But that's what I look for. I look for actual auctions. People can put buy it now on shit. You know,
1: you can put any price you want on that. Uh,
0: you know, it's, it's really funny. All of my uh, all of my comic book uh, When I'm bargaining with people, like on on eBay or if I'm at a comic show or whatever, it all came from watching, of all things, uh, Pawn Stars (laughs) and the way they would they would haggle with people. And I found that it actually works. So, uh, though, there is a special place in hell reserved for people who have make an offer and then don't accept any of your reasonable offers.
2: Yeah, I hate
0: that. Habit, you know. <laughs> it's the new reserve, is what it is. Because remember when, when when you would have like pe- people would have like a reserve on their auction, and it was always some ridiculous price. They would start it at a dollar, but their reserve was like a hundred. But um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm pretty happy. I mean, I paid two dollars for the thing, so if I get ten bucks out of it, that's a that's a profit. I got forty out of my first cable. Hmm. That was that was surprising.
2: What's his first appearance?
0: Uh new mutant sixty five or eighty five? Eighty five. I believe.
2: Yeah, I think I've looked that up before. I don't think I have that one. Now that you say that, that that sounds familiar. Eighty five Yeah, I don't. I jump from eighty four to ninety eight, but ninety eight I do have.
1: Yeah. We, we can turn this into a let's bullshit about comics. <laughs> or we or we can cover some comics. I'm okay. having fun bullshitting. It's, it's totally up to you
0: guys. Uh, I, I wrote a synopsis, so I'd actually I did like too. to talk
1: about I, my I did, <laughs> 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 I did some work, so, you know. All right. All right. So somebody bring us in. I'll bring us in if you like. I okay. would like. <clears throat>
2: Hello and welcome to Back to the Bins. My name is Scott Gardner and I am joined as
1: always by my good buddy, Paul Spataro. Hello. How's it going, man? It's going pretty good, as you know from the last two hours that we've been talking.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Some of which the listeners will hear on a completely different show. Ooh, Before we get serious. to mysterious before we get too far into this however our uh, our good buddy the good doctor is not here with us this evening uh but in his yeah, place Bill in, is
1: on assignment
2: in his stead we have a blast from the past Longtime listeners to this program may remember former co-host and good friend of ours mr michael bailey welcome back sir
0: these are really nice new studios you guys have. I'm, I'm kind of impressed. It's Isn't it? it's better than the old days where we were out in your shack, you know. With Apparently two they were able to I...
1: pay for the studios with the money they saved by not having to pay your exorbitant salary.
0: <laughs> yeah, but I got I got the Monzo for five years, so that's that, that's okay by me. Hey everybody, how you doing?
1: <laughs> How's it going, back,
0: Mike. <laughs> oh, it's always great to be on Back to the Bins. I, you know, it's funny we were. What the audience doesn't know is when we were uh, planning this, I'm like, what do I need to bring? And Scott's reaction was, you know,
1: you were a host on this show. <laughs> for, for quite a while, in fact. It not even like it was a short time.
0: And I'm like, but, 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 but what we got to realize is, and, and this, is, this is something that I'm going to hit Scott with. Uh, Scott, it was seven years ago around this time that we were knee deep into Tales. So and oh, it, 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 it's and it, 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 it's I mean we're almost coming up on ten years of of that so it's it good lord
2: That <laughs> makes me that makes me happy and sad at the same time it's like
0: wow I mean this June wow. I'm celebrating ten years of views so I'm wondering where that time went
2: man well,
0: well, what? I have to throw I, up all the flowers gone.
2: <laughs> I'm just glad that uh, that you took that uh, that message the way I intended it, you know, because I'm, you know, keeping in mind that you you can't tell tone or inflection or anything in in you know messages or Facebook posts or anything like that. I I, th- I think what I posted was something like, "Jesus Bailey, weren't you a co-host on this show once or something to that effect?" So I'm glad you took it the way I intended. No,
0: it. I, I had a really good laugh. I I, <laughs> I can usually. I can usually tell your tone, and I can usually tell Paul's tone, uh, if, if there is a message.
1: So, because well, you automatically think sarcasm before you, <laughs> right? You know, the, the problem is if we send something serious, you're going to think sarcasm, <laughs> right? <laughs>
0: No, but it but it was a lot of fun. We had planned to do one thing and we we're going to still do that, but uh now it's kind of a more traditional episode and I'm actually kind of jazzed about that cuz I got to read two comics I've never ha- uh, had a chance to read before.
1: <laughs> what I like about uh, this plan is it lets it, the thing we were going to do tonight we are still going to do, so that's kind of tying you up to be on at least twice yeah. in the foreseeable future. Yeah. Absolutely.
2: See, I, I don't, I don't want to tip our hand too much, but I just want to say, uh, you know, publicly, Paul, that I think your your plan for that other project was brilliant. I wish mm-hmm. I had thought of
1: that myself. So, yeah, well, these, I, are, these are things that we're able to do. Just, just to give the slightest clue, uh, we were planning to cover a book, and now we're going to try and theme it with a certain time of the year. But these are things that we're allowed to do because of Assistant Editor's Month, which will be in the rearview mirror by the time this episode posts. But it gives us a chance to get a little bit of a surplus of episodes recorded so that we're not quite under the gun. And I think that will, in its own way, affect the quality of this show because we're not going to be under pressure like we are right now where it's like, oh, my God, we got to get an episode recorded because I do feel the pressure to try and put out an episode every week. I don't like missing a week. No, no. <laughs> and, and with the exception of the self-imposed uh, moment of silence that we had uh, after Sean passed, I think we've been every single week for... Just trying to see when we started getting... It's been a couple of years. It's, it's probably about four years now, is my guess, that we've, we've been doing it every that's week. That's awesome. And I'm proud of that. I, I think that's... If it's not four years, it's coming up on it.
0: Well, well, podcasting is very much the the uh, a good example of an object in motion tends to stay in motion and an object at rest tends to stay at rest. Yeah. Because, no you know, when, you, when you're doing it and you're doing it every week, like, you know, we, I, you know, a couple of the shows that I did, you know, would fall off every once in a while. But once I would get back into it, once I got back into the rhythm, it's just like, OK, I got to do this every week. And then you miss one and you miss another and then suddenly it's not as important. And then it's harder to get back up that hill, uh, to get back, you know, to doing it. I mean, there were, there were, you know, Andy and Michael for their entire, you know, when they were doing it weekly, they did it every freaking week. And it was just like, I, I would always look at that in, in, in a, with a mix of admiration and jealousy. Cause <laughs> it's just like, mm. Well, if they can do it, I should be able to do it, but I can't do it. And then I'd start doubting myself. And you got, you know, like Trentis, I think, is another guy that's managed to do it, you know, week after week after week, uh, you know, on the network. So it's, it's, it's fun and it should never feel like work, but sometimes you have
1: to do it and treat it like work. So. sometimes especially when you're putting the pressure on you know and like I said, I do put pressure on myself that I want to have an episode every week. We are currently on a run where we have not missed a week with the exception of that time I mentioned uh, since July of 2013 so I think that's that's a you know that's a pretty nice run i'm pretty, pretty that's nice. a damn good run that's that's impressive
2: and it's that's that's all due to you too. So, you should I take a bow. i take on that.
1: credit. You should. <laughs> ever since I stole the show from you two. Oh, did I say that out loud?
0: It's not so much that you stole it, it's that we weren't looking and you just came <laughs> in and took it out. took
1: it away during the night. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, was, it was like, well, you know, I, I, could, I could edit these if you want. That's all right. <laughs> it's been a labor of love for the, this time. And uh, I was saying, you know, we, we recorded something earlier, and I was saying how uh, I had the podcast bug, bug before I started doing this because I was on a guest at a couple of shows. But this show is what really enabled me to start doing this regularly. And I, 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 I give total credit to you, too, for getting me rolling on this. And I give total blame to you, too. <laughs> it's all our fault, yep You could take the boughs and the uh rotten fruit that they're gonna throw in <laughs> It's always
0: fun though to go back to old episodes and listen to like emails from people that are now prolific podcasters right yeah yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: i've been listening I've been listening back to uh to older episodes of back to the bins, and yeah i I've definitely noticed that that there's a whole bunch of. It, it, it basically it usually falls into a category of, uh, hey, I wonder why so and so doesn't write into the show. Any- oh, that's right, <laughs> they're a podcaster of their own now. You know, <laughs> well,
1: Gene Hendricks, Tom Panarese, mm-hmm. me, <laughs> Trennis, Trennis, yeah, yeah. There's a bunch of
0: them. I mean, Scott and I know his real name,
1: supposedly. <laughs> well, there are ways to find out on the two true freaks feed and that's all
0: i'll say <laughs> no but you know it it i i think you know between you know like with the with the several different networks that i'm kind of you know pop in and out of and guest on you know two true freaks is always going to be the home one because you were the first guys that i was able to sucker into letting me uh come on and do something on a regular oh did i say sucker <laughs> yeah i said sucker um But it's just amazing uh, to see all these people, you know, who we're friends with get their own shows and everyone kind of, you know, usually stays friends. There's not a whole lot of drama in there. Uh, And if there is drama, it's all behind the scenes and no one ever sees it in the shows. Right. uh, Which other podcasting things cannot say.
2: Uh, (laughs) Right. In
0: all honesty. So (laughs) I'm not going to name any names. I'm just saying, if there's ever beefs, we're able to kind of work it out off air, so that when we're on air, everyone sounds like they're still, you know, everyone's you know friendly and having a good time. So, (laughs) but that's just how I see it.
1: I I, I see it the same way, at least certainly on this show. Uh, There, there are no hidden agendas or anger that I know of. If it is, it's directed at me, and I'm unaware of it.
0: Well, well my hidden agenda is so far out there, and you know, and when it's going to actually happen, that you won't know it until it's well over. So it's okay.
1: <laughs> All the pawns are in place. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we should do some comic reviews, though. Let's do some comics. Who are we starting with? Which order are we going in today? Do we want to go chronological? Yeah, that works for me. I like Good that idea. You? Okay. So that that puts you first, Mike.
0: Yeah, that puts me first. I have um, – I'm a couple episodes behind, but I've been really enjoying The Flash this season. And one of the reasons of that is they finally pulled the trigger and they made John Wesley ship Jay Garrick and put him in a costume with a silver hat and everything. Uh so I every once in a while I'll look through my you know my collection and, and the stuff I have digitally and I look for flash team ups and I found one that I had never read before, uh which uh and I thought, hey, the guys would probably dig this too. So I picked out Flash number 173, down Doomward, excuse me, Flight of the Flashes. It's got a September nineteen sixty-seven cover date. It was out on July twentieth, nineteen sixty-seven. The story was by John Broom with art by Carmine Infantino and Sid Green. And it's got one of those really overly dramatic opening pages. Helpless on a titanic geyser as their incredible foe, Golden Man appears, the Scarlet Speedster, and his young protege, Kid Flash, are as vulnerable as ping pong balls dancing on a jet of water in a shooting gallery. But this tingling episode is merely a minor and one in a major tale, of explosive excitement, which also involves Jay Garrick, the Flash of yesteryear. Doomward, Flight of the Flashes. So the story opens on Earth 2 where Joan and Jay Garrick are talking about how Jay's Earth 1 Flash counterpart, Barry Allen, still hasn't told his wife that he's the Flash. Deciding to take matters into her own hands, Joan has Jay take her to Earth 1, and they head to the Allen household. Iris is home alone! As Wally and Barry are out at the movies, just as Iris is telling them that Barry will be sorry he missed his friends, Wally comes home with a story about Barry getting called off to police business. Figuring something is up, Jay takes Wally aside, and in short order, Wally tells Jay how they happened upon the Domino Gang on the way to the movie. The two speedsters make short work of the gang, but as the fight was wrapping up, Barry disappeared in a green blast that knocked Wally out. He headed home after regaining consciousness, and that brings us up to speed. And I realized as I read that that that's a terrible pun, and I apologize to everybody right now. Jay puts on his Flash uniform, and the older and youngster Speedster begin looking for the Domino Gang as Jay believes Barry's disappearance is tied to them. Suddenly there is another green explosion, and Kid Flash is gone, leaving Jay to wonder what the heck happened. What happened is that they were transported to the pl- a planet in the Andromeda Galaxy, by one of the uh, planet's inhabitants, the Golden Man. The Golden Man was a mutant, a man born far advanced of the Neanderthal-like inhabitants of his planet. His mental capacity is gigantic, and with it alone, he built Vorvon City. He built Vorvon City. He built Vorvon City on rock and roll. Now he's super bored and wants to bring aliens to his world for sport. Figuring that a couple of speedsters would be fun to mess with, he transported Flash and Kid Flash, to, and that brings us up to speed again, and I realize I wrote that again, and I apologize. Soon, Wally and Barry are outside the city, and the game is afoot. Their first obstacle is a giant geyser, which makes them sitting ducks for Vorvon, who, uh, or, or the golden man who arrives with a paralysis gun. Flash tells his protege to vri- vibrate downwards, and they manage to escape. Their next obstacle is a driving rain that covers them with strange crystals that weighs them down. Once again, the Golden Man arrives and tries to hit them with the paralysis gun, but the Flash's quick thinking allows them to run through some brush, which tears the crystals loose. As the Flash and Kid Flash continue their evasion efforts, we learn that the Golden Man's true goal is to capture the speed energy of the two heroes to power a machine that will catapult the rest of the population, further up the evolutionary ladder, and make them like him. Elsewhere, the Flash and Kid Flash get caught in some quicksand, which knocks Wally out. Barry throws him to safety, but seemingly succumbs to the quicksand. This throws a major monkey monkey wrench into the Golden Man's plan, because Wally can't give him the energy he needs by himself. The Golden Man captures Jay Garrick, and Jay does his best to try and escape, but the Golden Man captures him and puts him under an energy prison that they can't escape from. The Golden Man is disappointed that the hunt can't continue, but he needs their speed energy, so he lowers the temperature in their cell, forcing the duo to vibrate or freeze to death. Suddenly, Barry rushes into the room and takes out every machine until Jay and Wally are free. It takes some effort, but Barry manages to break through the Golden Man's defenses, and with a little help from his friend friends, pounds on the Golden Man, but good. All is not lost for the alien because its evolutionary machine is unharmed. He takes the chance that it is ready and activates it. But instead of bringing his people up the ladder, he falls down it and becomes like everybody else. As the golden man leaves to be with his people, Jay and Barry fix the machine that will send them home. And just like that, three generations of flashes are back on Earth. Jay and Joe leave Earth One, satisfied that Barry promised to tell Iris about his identity when they celebrate their anniversary next month. And Wally returns home thinking about how the kids at school would go crazy if they knew what he
1: did on his trip. The end. Boy, does this book scream Silver Age. Yeah. <laughs> as as I mean, the, the three flashes fight Adam Warlock. Yeah, he, d- he does look like Adam Warlock, doesn't he? <laughs> he um, soul gem. Mm-hmm.
0: Which uh, which is better than him having a soul patch, but that's just because I think that's pretentious. I'll I'll go with you on that. (laughs) He is a
2: snappy dresser, though.
0: (laughs) So what would you guys think of this one?
1: I love Silver Age books. I I have no problem with the inherent silliness of this uh, as far as, you know, the storyline goes and the science that's being put out there for us. Uh so I, I can totally buy into that. There is at least for the DC Silver Age, this book seems to have a little bit more of an element of the Marvel soap opera touch. The whole, you know, Joan and Jay wanting Barry to reveal his identity to to Iris. You know, a little bit of the soap opera ish stuff that you don't normally get, I think, in the D C Silver Age books. Um Overall, I kind of like the Carmine, Carmine Infantino art in this. And, you know, I, I know I've made it clear that I'm not a huge Infantino fan. But for the most part, I, I like it in this era. Uh, there's a couple of pictures that are a little wonky, in particular, the shot of uh, Wally's face on page four in the third panel. <laughs> he, he looks like a, like a Picasso painting there. <laughs> <laughs> And and I also think that Iris kinda looks like uh what's her name? Daphne from Scooby Doo? <laughs> or Velma? Oh, Velma, excuse me, yes.
0: Yeah, there ain't nothing wrong with that. I'm just saying that right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, those things aside, I, I like this book. I enjoyed reading the story. I thought it was, you know, silver age silliness, and I'm all for that. I have no problem with it. I enjoy it. what do you think, Scott? I
2: love the art. The story left me with a lot, a lot
1: of questions. <laughs> um, questions that will never be answered. By the way, you realize that, right?
2: Uh, you know, for one thing, uh, now I, I, I will confess, I'm not terribly well versed on the Flash, particularly Silver Age Flash. Is there something that Wally is doing to change his hair color when he becomes the Kid Flash?
0: Yes. Oh okay. All right. And... Yeah, that was part of the things. It, it was basically he put like makeup in his hair. Oh okay. When he would become Kid Flash. It was I one of those. You. It was one of those silly things like, you know, Johnny Thunder, the Western Johnny Thunder put like, you know, theater dust to make his hair black when he would go. Oh uh, okay.
2: Action. Um if the flashes can run across water, how the hell do they get bogged down in quicksand? I I really didn't understand that at all. Wouldn't they just go right, across, right over the top of it?
0: They say that the ground is melting under them. I'm wondering if he somehow, though this is a no prize, so take it as such. I'm wondering if he somehow made it happen suddenly so that they were taken by surprise.
2: Okay, I can buy that. And somebody, either Carmine Infantino or John Broom or both, clearly do not understand what a crystal is because those are <laughs> green soap bubbles. Those are, those are not crystals that I'm aware of. Unless I don't know what crystals are because, I mean, crystals, I think of crystals, I think of like Superman's Fortress from the movies. I don't think of green circular objects because this, this looks like it does. It looks like they've lathered up with, with soap or something. You know, it just it's weird. Unless they're a crystal bubble. Does crystal form as a bubble?
0: Not that I'm aware of. They look more like tumors or like plant
1: life. <laughs> it's not a tumor. See, this is they, where we they, need they, Dr. They, they they Bill. They look like the growths on the elephant, man.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what that means. That means they can't lay down to sleep anymore. That's, right. that's going to be a problem. They'll,
1: they'll suffocate.
0: <laughs> yeah, so...
2: I uh, I really did like the art though, just because um, I, I do like Carmen Infantino. I'm not a huge fan of his, but I do like Carmen Infantino because invariably, uh, when I look at Carmen Infantino, especially when it's when it's a sci-fi setting like much of this is, there's almost always at least one thing I'll find that will take me back to Marvel Star Wars, and in this case, it was the inside, uh, you know, the the first the opening page you know the splash page because that weapon that the golden man is holding uh sometimes like like right around i want to say it's like issue like 18 or 19 or something of marvel star wars sometimes the stormtroopers would have this exact same gun that he's got with the weird like flash that like flash suppressor on the on the front of it like the like a shape or like like a lazy A shape on the front of it right there. I can remember specifically stormtroopers having that. What's weird is later on in the issue when he actually does use the weapon on them, it d- doesn't look anything like that. So it's, it's really weird because I oh, – damn, I just had the page here a second ago where he was shooting that weapon. Now I've lost it. But when he does actually shoot the weapon in the story itself, it, it looks like a traditional um, – like a traditional type, like laser pistol or something. It doesn't look anything like this rifle that, oh, here it is. It's on page, is that 19? No, 10. It's page 10, uh, third panel. doesn't look anything like the one in the uh, in the opening splash. But uh, I, I did like the art quite a bit. Who is the the inker on this? Sid Green. Oh, Sid Green, yeah. yeah I'm not crazy about the inks, but I, I do like the art itself. I thought it was pretty good. Um, but, yeah, the story, yeah, it, it's wacky. Um, I, I will freely admit this is not something I, I would have necessarily picked to read on my own. But, you know, having read it, I, I enjoyed it. I do like um, uh, Jay Garrick a lot. So i I, I was, you know, when I saw that uh, that he was on the cover of this that that actually got me a little more interested to read the tale just because I, I always like him I always enjoy uh, Jay Garrick and I like the start of the story um, where it was him and his wife in uh, in Keystone City that that always takes me back to um, you know just the, the older stories a, a lot of which we covered when we were doing uh, tales of the JSA and I always think of uh, it's crisis number two 10, I think, where it starts out and, and they're all having a barbecue and everything. 11. And, is it 11?
0: It's 11. Yeah,
2: where they, where they realize that the, the cities have been merged together and now they're the twin cities of Keystone and Central. I always liked that. I always thought that was fun. That kind of took me back to that as well. So, yeah, it was, it was a fun little, like, nostalgic romp. I actually got a, a bigger kick out of some of the ads that were in the book, to be honest with you. But, uh, but it, was, it was fun. It was pretty cool.
0: Um, I am a sucker for Jay Garrick stories. Jay Garrick is my favorite JSA member. I I Mm -hmm. think I said that, but if I didn't, uh, he just flat out is. I'll never forget in the summer of 89, picking up off the newsstand, Flash Annual number 3, which was Wally looking for Jay. And his Who's Who entry was in the back, and suddenly... It was the first time as a comic you know, as a DC fan that I'm like, oh, there's there's a genera- generational aspect of this. Right. And so Jay was always one of those characters that always stood out because he was the first one that I realized. And then Mark Wade brought him in as a supporting character in the flash run after Armageddon Inferno. And suddenly Jay is like one of the elder statesmen of the DC universe and the guy you just want to hang out with. Because he's just, he's awesome. He's Him and Joan never had kids, so all the younger heroes are his children. And I've always loved that. Um, uh, Artwork-wise, I I do want to just cover a couple little points. One, Carmine Infantino is incapable of drawing an unattractive woman. Even Joan Garrick is stacked like the Library of Congress and kind (laughs) of cute. So, and, you know, now that you point out that Iris kind of looks like... uh, Velma from Scooby-Doo I'm like even more attracted to her as a character uh, those glasses and uh, she's got that naughty
1: librarian thing going on I, do, um, I think it's funny the way he has uh, glasses on her head all the time Yeah.
0: yeah. so um, if I is, won't
2: if I won't get in trouble with your wife if I can find it I'll send you a naughty Velma picture that I found and saved not long ago
0: you'll you'll appreciate it um, she doesn't have to know Um <laughs> Infantino's artwork, especially on The Flash, was, uh, and I'm talking Silver Age Infantino on The Flash. I'm not talking 80s Infantino on The Flash, which is a whole different animal. Uh, But some of this is really moody. Like on page six, that fifth panel where Wally and Jay are in shadow. I mean, that's a really neat page. And I, I just, you know... The aliens look silly, but most Silver Age DC aliens look silly. I'm sorry, you know, Gil Kane was a brilliant artist. Most of his aliens look silly. So, and this is right in keeping with with the stories. Uh, The Flash, the Flash is one of those characters where I can go through his Silver Age run and not like get bogged down and kind of bored after a while with the with the repetitive storytelling because a lot of his stories were okay, here's the villain, here's what the villain's doing, here's how the Flash is going to beat the villain, here's Iris giving Barry a hard time. And that can get a little annoying, but I think the Flash had one of those, you know, Batman, Spider-Man-like rogues galleries where, you know, you were excited when Captain Cold came back, you were excited when the Weather Wizard came back, or the Trickster, or whatever. And, you know, some of them back... When the Flash TV show was on, the guy that married my eldest sister sold me a bunch of his Flash books, and a lot of them were from the Silver Age, and it was the first time that I was able to read that stuff. And so this took me back to that. So I felt like I was a teenager again reading comics. Uh, the story itself is silly. Um, there's no getting around that. You can't, I mean, this alien brought them there to use their super speed energy to accelerate everybody else on the planet because he's bored and that you don't see that type of thing anymore but it was charming in that sense and i like that there was like that kind of o henry ending that you know he 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 doesn't everybody doesn't come up he goes down and he looks pretty happy as he just leaves the complex you know vorvon city <laughs> just kind of like like he's just going to go and hang out with his people so kind of actually looks like me when i have my shirt off which is not really <laughs> all that. Other, maybe I shouldn't have said that. Uh, I agree with Scott. The ads in this thing are brilliant. There's a fun ad for World's Finest with Supergirl and Bat. That was the first time Supergirl and Batgirl teamed up was in that issue, if I'm correct.
1: Oh, really? Uh, so at this point, Batgirl hadn't been around very long.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this is 67. So this is her first year of existence.
1: Ah, OK.
0: So and uh, there's an ad. I love the Palisades Park ads in old DC books
1: you know Uh, what's funny is every time I see that ad I hear the song Palisade Park in my mind
0: me too actually I was like we're going to zoom on the roller coaster (laughs) it's it's a half mile south of George Washington Bridge so uh, you know half mile south of where Gwen Stacy bought it Very good. (laughs) I'm sure that was a selling point Uh, did anybody here ever have a Matt Mason doll I did not, I
2: remember him, but I never had one myself. I like all the gear, though. He had some really cool gear. He, he was like, a, he was like a G.I. Joe type of action figure.
0: That space station actually looks really freaking cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it's like the wor- like the most fragile thing ever, and that if you played with it for more than five minutes, it fell apart. What the hell is with his moon suit, though?
1: <laughs> it it looks kind like of like a, a big R2-D2, uh,
0: Costume. He kind of looks like he's wearing the thing you hit in a badminton, you know, when you're playing
1: badminton. The like bird.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and there's a there's a really cool couple of covers in the back. Uh, Superman punching Captain Incredible. Uh, I am actually searching for that issue right now uh, for my collection. And there's a there's a Metamorpho story because we have to remember that there was a time that Metamorpho was a big deal. Um. Uh, Not so much now, but in the late 60s, he was a really popular character from what I understand. And there's also an ad for Binky, which was one of DC's Archie ripoff characters um, that they they had. Like Binky actually would eventually get two titles. uh, And there's like 80 issues between the two of them in the late 60s and early 70s. So it's just kind of interesting that this is where he got his start. Though so, you know, the Flash first appeared in Showcase. edited Green Lantern. I think by the time Binky's coming around, that title has lost you know its luster <laughs> of bringing in properties that are going to last. So, no, it was a lot of fun. I love, love these books. Uh, I really do. And uh, I, uh, I I got this uh, digitally uh, through DC. They had a a Christ, uh, Flash of Two Earths sale where they put all of the flash uh earth one earth two flash comics up for like a buck a piece so i grabbed a bunch of them and they really pop on the ipad so i can i can definitely um recommend that as well but no thank you for le- thank you for inviting me on here and letting and uh inspiring me to dig this out because it was a lot of fun
1: absolutely it was, of fun. it was a good good pick by you you want to uh you want to give it some ratings
0: uh I actually did uh give it some ratings. The uh cover I'm going to give a 5 uh or an A, excuse me, an A. I wrote them down as let as as uh, letters and uh the story I'm going to give a B and the art I'm going to give a B because they're good but they're not like wow, this is like one of the greatest things I've ever read. And there was some walkiness in the art that kind of took it down a notch, but uh, yeah, th- those would be my my uh, my grades.
1: Okay, I'm gonna say I would give the cover I'm not quite at an A on it, but I think I'm at a B plus. Only I might be at an A, it's just it's just slightly too busy with the words for me. I don't know. Uh, but but a B plus. I, I, I like the cover a lot. The interior art it's Carmine Infantino as I like him, but there's still a little bit of wonkiness to it and I've never been a big Infantino fan. I'm gonna say a B minus on the interior art. Uh, story-wise, it's just Silver Age silliness. Uh, it's almost like, who cares, just put together a story. Um, but I'm going to say B- minus on that also, because there's nothing particularly, you know, that's going to make it stay with you over, over any length of time. So I can't give it higher than that, but it was enjoyable. So I'll say a B-. And overall, I'll give the book a B. Uh,
2: cover for me, uh, I really like the art Portions of the cover. I mean, this is iconic, uh, you know, just the, the look of all three of the flashes. I, I mean, come on, it's Carmine Infantino doing the flash and, and plus uh, inked on the cover by, uh, by Murphy Anderson. So I really like it. Uh, if you don't linger over perspective and, and some of the anatomy and everything and just kind of take it uh, at a glance, it's just it, it's a really striking cover. And I like that. So uh, I, I think I'd actually go a B plus on the cover. I agree with Paul that, you know, it's a little wordy and everything, but I do like the way that it's laid out and bouncing back and forth with, you know, first the art is on the left, then it's on the right, and then it's on the left again, you know, uh, counterbalancing the uh, the verbiage that's on the cover. So I think it is a cool cover. Uh, interior art. Um, I mean, it's hard for me to be objective with Carmen Infantino just because I, I have such a you know sentimental childhood uh, attachment to uh, to him. You know, with like I said before, Marvel Star Wars, but some other things too. Um, you know, the, the earliest comic I can ever remember reading was an issue of uh, Detective Comics that had an elongated man tale in it that I searched for for years to try to find. Uh, just because I could remember glimpses of it in my mind's eye, and that you know that turns out that's a Carmen Infantino as well. So uh, I just have a, a strong childhood sentimental attachment to his art. So uh, I really like it. Um, this isn't the strongest Infantino I've ever seen, and I'm going to blame some of that on the inker. I, I think that the the inks. Um, are a, little, are a little loose and a little wonky. Um, some of the faces look really strange. I'm looking here at page 18, that next to last panel of the golden man. Um, yeah, he looks like he's been hit in the face with a frying pan or something. It's just like his whole face has been mushed in or something. It's really weird looking. <laughs> but uh, but overall, I really do like it. And I, I always liked the way that Infantino depicts speed. I mean, when these guys are supposed to be just, you know, hauling ass, they look like they're hauling ass. They look like they're really, you know, streaking across the landscape and all. And I really like that. And, uh, you know, I I made fun of the golden man and his wonky look and his completely ridiculous outfit. I mean, his shoes are flippers for Christ's sake. He looks like he's going to be going diving right after he's done with this adventure. (laughs) But that said, I get a kick out of it. So I really enjoy that. I'm going to go, uh, gonna go a b minus on the art just because i think the inks could be a little tighter on this uh and then story um i would go a c except uh there are things I, i really like i like the the opener i love the opener in in keystone and them going to uh earth one and all that and and some of the other elements and i'm always a sucker for you know the futuristic cities and all that sort of thing so uh I'll actually go a C plus on the story. I think it's uh, better than average uh, Silver Age tale for an overall grade of uh, of I'll say B minus. I, I think I think it was fun. I really enjoyed this.
0: What you don't know, Scott, is that Vorvon City has a hell of an, a water park. <laughs> uh, you know they you know they've got like the little wave thing and they've got slides. It's it's just a, and he was as soon as he was done there. He was going to have everybody come and come to the water park, which is why he was wearing the flip flops.
2: I gotcha. Know? He was going to evolve his people so they got all go and enjoy the water park together. Mm-hmm. I gotcha. Oh, now I feel sad for him. Because <laughs> cavemen do not go to water parks.
0: And when they do, everyone's like, Mommy, why didn't you shave his back?
2: <laughs> He's going to go anyway. He's going to be wearing a banana hammock. Ew. <laughs> That's what the big fat hairy guys do.
1: Believe me, I live in Florida.
2: I know.
0: (laughs) Dignity, self respect. A big fat hairy guy in Florida craves not these things.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right,
2: Paul, I think you're up,
1: buddy. I thought I was going to leave. This whole banana hammock talk. (laughs) (laughs) All right, I chose to bring Defenders number 62 from August of 1978, which sported a hefty cover price of 35 cents. The cover shows a full figure of Nighthawk, front and center with a white background, and then there are quite a few small heroes surrounding him, including the Angel, Iron Man, neither of which appear in the story, by the way, the Human Torch, who doesn't appear in the story, Falcon, Spider Woman, who doesn't appear in the story, Nova, Captain Marvel, Jack of Hearts, Iron Fist, Power Man, who doesn't appear in the story, Valkyrie, Hercules, and the Hulk. Uh, the, story, the the cover uh, verbiage says, possibly the wildest Defenders saga ever. Tons of action, loads of suspense, and more than a few laughs. The insanity begins with this announcement. It's easy, folks. You, too, can be a defender for a day. That announcement's being made by a guy at the bottom corner uh, with red hair, sunglasses, and a beard, and his name is Dollar Bill. Uh, Since we couldn't have Dr. Bill with us today, we have Dollar Bill instead. And, uh, yeah, it's not really much of a replacement. I don't really know what... Dollar Bill story is other than the fact that he was hanging out with the Defenders at this time. The story is written by David Kraft, penciled by Sal Buscema, inked by Jim Mooney, lettered by John Costanza, colored by Bob Sharon, and edited by Bob Hall. The Story opens with a splash page of Hellcat getting ready to throw a frisbee to Nighthawk, while the Hulk and Valkyrie both plead ignorance of the game. Hellcat throws it as far as she can, and Nighthawk uses his jetpack to get it, quickly tossing it to the Hulk, who throws it with all his might to Valkyrie, slamming her into a tree, which brings forth the physics question, wouldn't the frisbee just be crushed and that not happen? Anyway, at this point, a dude named Dollar Bill, who, you know, the guy from the cover, he comes out and he invites them all in to watch his Defenders documentary on TV. Nighthawk is pissed, and Hellcat is psyched. They all watch it and the message is that anyone who wants to be a member is because there are no rules. Watching the documentary only pisses Nighthawk off more, and at this point we cut to the USSR where an unrelated subplot is being played out involving some type of dangerous situation blah 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 blah. Back to the Richmond Writing Academy, headquarters to the Defenders, where the doorbell is ringing and Nighthawk answers the door to find a plethora of wannabe defenders including Ms. Marvel, Son of Satan, Polaris, Black Goliath, Jack of Hearts, Stingray, Iron Fist, Captain Marvel, Hercules, Nova, and Marvel Man, who Gene Hendricks would have to tell me, is that Quasar or is that a different person with the costume at that point? Anyway, Nighthawk tosses Dollar Bill out on his ass and then confronts the Falcon, who was sitting on the roof along with the Prowler. Hulk, Valkyrie, and Hellcat are watching this through a window, and Hellcat is acting like a man-hungry hungry whore. Hulk asks Valkyrie if he should smash, but she decides that they should be courteous hosts instead, even though the Hulk would rather smash. Hellcat goes outside, and I'm thinking at this point she's like a cat in heat, but she meets up with Torpedo, Paladin, and Captain Ultra. Nova, White Tiger, and Marvel Man decide to play cowboy with some of the horses at the Academy, and while this is happening, the upstart defenders, elect Hercules as their leader. As this happens, and that's really like the brightest thing in the world, let's take the most headstrong guy who is usually out of control and drunk, and let's make him our leader. But as this happens, we see our cowboy heroes have limited equestrian skills, and Nighthawk is still chasing the Falcon. Valkyrie and Hulk come out, serve coffee, and Hulk lack some social skills as a host at that point. It seems that the coffee is not particularly good and Hercules just dumps his on in the uh, dirt. Meanwhile, a group of Havoc, Iron Fist, Torpedo, Tagak, and Black Goliath determine that the Hulk is a menace. And while they're talking about that, Captain Ultra and Jack of Hearts are acting like prepubescent boys trying to impress Hellcat. As they start to get in each other's faces, the horseback riding heroes burst through. Hulk has had enough. And walks off pondering whether he can smash and as he's sitting there he's attacked by black Goliath, stingray havoc polaris torpedo tagic and iron fist and we're told next issue sheer hulker cost not to mention more superheroes than you can shake a stick at and scads of supervillains too i picked this up when it was new on the stands and i read it and i thought it was pretty cool and pretty funny back then i still enjoyed it It's dumb, it's fun, and it's pretty quick reading. Overall, I I really enjoyed this story and I'm curious if you guys had ever read this before, and if so, what do you think of it?
0: Uh, I have, actually. This, uh, um, back in 2004 I won a trivia contest at DragonCon and got uh, dealer room money, basically, as a prize. And I went to a 50-cent box and picked up $60 $60 worth of Defenders books uh, and some other assorted stuff. So I got a really solid run from like 55 onward. And I read a good chunk of those issues. The David Kraft issues are very odd. Uh, he took the non-team concept and kind of ran with it. So it was kind of neat revisiting this particular issue. Uh, surprisingly, having read those, I don't remember anything about the dollar bill either. Uh, so i guess he's like one of those seriously forgettable characters um but it was really kind of fun this was obviously influential on keith giffen and jm Dematteis when they did their justice league run because that it kind of has that same kind of you know like really goofy feeling like the the point isn't what villain are the defenders fighting it's more of the interpersonal dealings with the characters and i really liked this lineup i liked night hawk i loved that the hulk was just this lovable goofball most of the time until things really went dangerous and you know this is just it's just fun to see these kind of I don't want to call them second stringers because I'm sure a bunch of these people are going to break loose in the new Guardians of the Galaxy movie or something down the line with Marvel. I mean, I'm 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 waiting for the Stingray uh, appearance in an Iron Man film uh, is what I'm saying. And in the fact, are, are either of you like a as I that Jack of Hearts hasn't really kind of popped into the cosmic side of things yet? <laughs>
1: is he yeah. back from the dead yet? Well, in the comics, he's not as far as I know, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him show up in a Guardians movie at some point or in the Infinity Gauntlet. Mm-hmm. I, wonder, I wonder when Infinity Gauntlet comes if we might see some Easter egg heroes <laughs> kind of thrown in. I'm
0: hoping so. Yeah. <laughs> but I just love that Nighthawk in this story is just like, just he's just a... I don't want to say he's a jerk because he's completely justified in being mad at Dollar Bill, but I like how grumpy he is leading to his fight with the Falcon. And I love that the Hulk is sitting there helping her serve coffee.
1: And, and that's my fa- that has my favorite thing, too. When they ask him for cream and sugar, they just drink it black.
0: <laughs> but the one part where I was like, God, these are a bunch of jerks, is that they show up and they totally decide that they're going to take over the team and they make Hercules their leader. It's just like wow! You did you not watch the show? I mean,
1: <laughs> what a pair of uh, testicles you have!
0: <laughs> uh, art-wise, it's it's Sal Buscema drawing the Hulk. I don't think overall that he is served with
1: Jim Mooney. Um, their styles. Jim Mooney is is. Jim Mooney, I don't think is bad, but he's just there. It's it's you know it, it, he doesn't. I don't think he truly embellishes anybody's art. Yeah, but he, he he's more of a make the lines darker guy.
0: Yeah, it's it's like Mooney. I love his Supergirl stuff. I really do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he drew a bunch of issues before Kurt Swan took over of the Superboy book that tied into the television series and that's some actually really good superboy artwork but here when i think of when i think of the hulk and i think of sal busema i have a very specific image in my head and i and i got like shades of that in this book and it's it's almost it's almost like when i first set, first saw batman returns in the theater and every time or here's, here's a better example it was like John Ottman's use of the Superman themes and the Superman Returns score, like he would tease you with stuff, but never really go all the way, except like in a few very specific moments. That's kind of how I felt with uh, Busema's Hulk in this, where I was I was waiting for the full-on Buscema Hulk, and I never got it. Uh, when, you, but,
1: when you picture the Buscema Hulk, does it have a little line of spittle going down the teeth? Yes. <laughs> Cause, 'Cause that's pretty much mandatory as far as I'm concerned.
0: I mean, no, but seriously, I mean he is I, I I didn't pay full price for it, but I picked up that artist edition Salbu Sema Hulk hardcover, and it's gorgeous, by the way. Just at that size, the artwork
1: just pops off the page. Which which issue did they do that with?
0: Uh, it was it was a whole big hardcover of a collection of his stories. I'd have to dig it out to tell you exactly what's in it. Uh, but it's it's like one of those things that Dark Horse put out, uh, where they put out like artist editions of things that are in these overs oversized slip cases and stuff like that. Yeah, so, I know
1: generally with those that they just picked a specific issue and you know recreated the original artwork from whatever source they got it from. I didn't realize they did it with multiple. Items. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So, but I, I I really appreciated though that they just stuffed the story with all of these random Marvel characters. Like, you know who Havoc is, and you know who Ms. Marvel is, and you know who Hercules is, but Captain Ultra? It's just like... I mean, I remember seeing his Ohatmu entry, but that's it.
1: Well, I I remember him from uh, from the issue of the Fantastic Four where the Frightful Four was auditioning people to become the fourth member to replace Thundra who had betrayed them. And he's one of the guys, he comes in there, he impresses the hell out of all of them. Until, uh, I think, pastepot Pete lights a cigarette. And then they find out that he's deathly afraid of fire. Uh,
0: though my favorite moment in the entire issue, just as a random thing, was Stingray going, God, I hope the Hulk doesn't remember our last encounter.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you'd be <laughs> drinking sword girl's coffee. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was my favorite I, line Hulk was definitely the comic relief in this <laughs> one though with, with the, the drink it black or even the should Hulk smash and then she's like no 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 don't smash uh, Hulk wishes he smashed <laughs>
0: <laughs> well I think I, I think that's it, 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 it's 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 a nice little um, like it's the flip side of what was going on in the Hulk's book at this point because this is where Bruce Banner was still kind of wandering the earth like Kane from Kung Fu uh, to kind of emulate the ser- the TV series, I think we're in the Bill Mantlo era at this point. I'm not quite sure. Uh, I'd have to. Uh, I'd. I think you no. Know, or did Roger Stern write that Stingray story?
2: That
1: might be a Stern issue. I, I know the <laughs> one you're talking about, but I can't. It's one of the two of them, I think. But but the the thing about it, the Hulk in this that gets me a little bit is he's calm. He's hanging out. Why isn't he turning back into Bruce Banner? See, I used to think that, and I, I've read
2: Precious Little of the Defenders, but every time I read the Defenders, I think the same thing is, when when he's not doing anything to keep his rage fueled, why doesn't he just turn back to Banner? And I, I, I know sometimes it was because of uh, of a Doc Strange whammy, but Doc Strange isn't even in this one. So what is keeping him... Mean and green in this. I didn't quite get that, especially when he's hanging out at the very end. He's just sitting off in the woods all by himself, pouting. So why doesn't he turn back to Banner there? Yeah, no, I,
0: I have no, no idea. Yeah, it's one of those things that they never explored because he's always like this. Yeah, the Hulk. Uh, the Hulk in this in this title was their bruiser, and every once in a while he'd go on a rampage, but mostly it was kind of like. You know, let's cast the Hulk as, you know, bull from Night Court, essentially, <laughs> you know, where where he is kind of making he is the comic relief because you don't expect the Hulk to be funny. Uh, and then you don't laugh because, oh, my God, is he going to smash you? I mean, is he going to take it wrong? But I. I. The Hulk is my favorite Marvel character, so any story with him, I'm going to want to read. Now, whether I like it or not is entirely you know, a different story because the Ultimates can go kiss my ass uh, with how they treated that character. But uh, here, I think it's right on point, and it, it just made me laugh. Like, I, I had so much fun reading this. That was my big takeaway, was how much fun it was.
1: Yeah, well, it was definitely... I mean, and that was the intent. This, This was... A story that was meant to be lighthearted and to, you know, to make you smile, and I, th- I think it's it served its purpose as far as that goes, and it, and it really is pretty memorable. This is a story that you know stood out to me when I when I picked it for tonight. It was like, oh yeah, I remember this one, you know, and I probably haven't read it since it was fairly new, but but it still stands out because it's it's one of the more interesting and unique things they did, you know. They they always talked about the Defenders being a non-team, as I go, you know, what the hell does that even mean? So, so in this one, they kind of explore that a little bit. Well, you know, anybody who comes along is a member, you know, and then they take it to the to the extreme. You know, we're going to elect Hercules our leader, and we've decided we should all attack the Hulk. And boy, you look at that motley crew that's attacking the Hulk. He's just—I I, without even looking at the next issue—he's going to rip them to shreds. <laughs> I mean, the only one there who I feel like, you know, can legitimately do something with the Hulk is Havoc. Yeah, the else there.
2: not the That's... torpedo.
0: Torpedo. Yeah,
1: that Are was you kidding that me? Was a, that was a joke. <laughs>
2: okay. Well, one of them is Iron Fist, though. Iron Fist. I don't know. Could he could he stand up to the Hulk?
0: I, I think it's one of those things like Havoc. Havoc could could hit the Hulk from a distance. But if it gets close quarters, he's done.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: Iron Fist could probably hit him once, but that backhand that's going to come after it, I don't know if he's going to be able to get you know get back up for a, a few minutes after that. So, it's one of those things where they could fight the Hulk for a minute, but it's not right. like <laughs> it, it, <laughs> but it's not going to be like a long, you know, battle he would have with Doctor Doom or with uh, the abomination or with even with Leonard Samson at this point because this is right around the time that yeah I, I looked at the date at seventy eight so this is like kind of hip deep in the stern era where the Hulk was hanging around gamma base most of the time right so
1: God those were some good issues too <laughs> and I mean who's who's coming up with the strategy here on this attack <laughs> get her Polaris, Polaris has <laughs> get her yeah <laughs> She, she has like kind of uh, Magneto light powers So is she Manipulating some sort of metal to You know to attack the Hulk With it no no she's leaping from Behind the bushes towards him What, what the hell is that about well, What purpose does that serve Actually Torpedo who has the flying powers Is running towards him Right
0: that is their their plan Though because he goes get him Yeah they're, they're going to try and
1: <laughs> overwhelm Him with their superior numbers not a good plan.
0: <laughs> what do you think, Scott?
2: I liked this. I'd never read this before. And every time I, I read uh, an issue of the Defenders, particularly one like this that I really, really like, I'm like, why the hell don't I read more to the Defenders? Because at this point, I have almost a complete run of the series. I really only like just a few issues of this. Uh, I, I really need to start making the time to to work my way through it because I really liked this. I, I, I thought it was uh, funny. I thought it was lighthearted. I really liked a lot of the comedy beats. Um, but I did have a lot of questions as well. Um, Dollar Bill, who the hell is this guy? Is he
1: Marvel's answer to Funky Flashman? Is that what I'm getting here? Or I don't think he was Funky Flashman. I think he was... The defenders' answer to Rick Jones or Snapper Carr.
2: Oh, okay. Um, and yeah, we talked about the Hulk never turning back. What's the deal with Metron here on page uh, page nine? What's that all about?
1: Well,
2: you know, Metron of the New Gods. That's who this guy
1: reminds oh, me the, of oh, here. It's, it's that's that's the uh, the subplot that I described in my synopsis by saying blah 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 right (laughs) Uh, yeah he's he's something with uh if i remember right with the russian super soldiers and a subplot that they have going on in the u.s Uh, okay i I think there's like possibly like a, a nuke or something that was set off and they're trying to cover it up and there's some sort of intrigue going on there. I don't really remember the whole subplot and I don't remember it being all that great.
2: I was kind of sad to find that you know we're we're looking we're all looking at a digital copy here but I actually have this as as a paper copy. So I dug my paper copy out only because there's a number of uh, of panels and sometimes entire pages where the the printing process was not very good and some of the the words are lost well that actually carried over to my copy as well it has the exact same printing issues on the exact same uh, pages and panels so evidently that was good for the whole the whole print not just this particular uh, digital copy that we're looking at that was kind of sad um Speaking of sad, I I loved all the the characters that they threw into this because there's a ton of great and and often very obscure characters, but I was struck by how many of these characters are deceased now, and that was kind of sad when I realized... There are a lot of them that are not around anymore, so that was kind of sad. My favorite single panel of the entire book, and it literally made me laugh out loud when I read it, which does not happen with with written material very often, but it really did, was uh, the third panel on page 11 where Nighthawk is quite literally booting Dollar Bill right in the ass, and it even says boot as he's kicking him out the door. I love that. Just a swift kick in the ass. I am always a fan of the swift kick in the ass. I thought that was great. You don't see much of him, but, uh, you know, bonus points for the Prowler because I I love that dude. He's one of the very first uh, comic characters I can remember when I uh, discovered uh, Spider-Man. I just remembered I I couldn't tell you the issue, but there's a great issue where he and Spider-Man are falling down an elevator shaft as they're fighting. I always remember that cover from when I was a kid, so I I like that character. But yeah, there's a lot of great characters in here. I have a a weird fondness for the Torpedo just because he's such a lame-ass character that was in ROM. And I think he ended up getting killed by the Dire Wraiths, if I'm not mistaken. I think he did. Um, I like Nova. I'm wondering if this is the first time that Nova and... Uh, I, am I think you're right, Paul. I think Marvel man does become quasar. So I'm wondering if this is the first time they met because they became good friends. Uh, they actually worked together. Um, I forget if it was Pro- project Pegasus or what it was, but they worked together in the Nova series, uh, that spun out of, uh, annihilation. They were good friends. You got Bill Foster here who, uh, 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 he would get killed in the civil war. And Captain Marvel, it would die of cancer. So, yeah, there's a lot of characters that are dead in this, but...
0: Jack of Hearts got killed and disassembled. Jack of hearts. Yeah. I mean, it's just... But, uh, it, it's it's amazing. It's like I, I kind of want to dig out my hot of the dead characters just to see how many of these people are in that volume. Uh, just, you know, it, it, Marvel... I don't know, it's kind of funny it, 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 unless your name is like Jean Grey, Marvel isn't really interested in bringing you back from the dead right? on a regular basis, they'll just make somebody else, your, you know, you so that's uh, I'd really like to track down how many of these characters are dead, but we don't have that kind of time, by the way, I did peek ahead really quick at what happened in the fight, and uh, Hercules actually ends up breaking it up Oh. Uh, because he's had enough of everyone trying to attack the Hulk, but yeah, Stingray is the first guy to go flying
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, on the splash page. Just, just another another point though, like you know, where we point out just how ballsy it is for them to elect Hercules their leader. They just come in and take over. Even uh, when Nighthawk does boot Dollar Bill out, Falcon starts lecturing him on being a defender. Right, well, as a defender, you should set a better example than that. <laughs> Who the hell are you to tell me what to do? Right, you yeah. got here, dude.
0: Yeah, well, once the ex
1: pimp starts uh, telling
0: you, you know how to run your team. <laughs> you know that.
1: Uh, That's a good point. <laughs>
0: hey, snap
1: <laughs> Wilson. Yeah, come on, Snap.
2: <laughs> I will. Uh, I will also give bonus points on the art. On uh, I'm looking at page twelve here. Uh, you can tell that uh, the guys were really having a good time drawing the female form with both Valkyrie and Hellcat uh, on oh, this yeah. particular page. They're, they're looking mighty fine. We have to read some more issues of the, of the Defenders. The the other uh, laugh-out-loud moment for me was when, when they first start to get into their tussle, um, Jack of Hearts and, uh, and Captain Ultra, I thought it was very forced and very stiff in the dialogue. But then you get down to... The uh, third from last panel on page 18, and they're facing each other. They're face to face, and Captain Ultra says, "Ha, you're playing with half a deck, you dope." And Jack of Hearts says, "Don't get uh, don't get personal, Captain Colorblind." And I don't know why that line cracked me up, but it does because his outfit is friggin' ridiculous. He he he's like Combo Man gone horribly wrong or something. He's just got the
1: worst outfit. Or but, to quote Burt Reynolds from the movie The End, he looks like Walt Disney threw up.
0: And, <laughs> and what is it with characters named Ultra? Because remember that, that dude in the Justice League that was from Earth oh, Prime? Ultra? Ultra? Yeah, Ultra. He,
2: had a, uh, yeah, yeah. He,
0: he had like a ridiculous costume. And then there's Ultra the multi alien who has like a <laughs> bird leg. <laughs> I hate so, when that happens. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you wake up in the morning, you, you get up, and suddenly you got a bird leg.
2: Where the hell does this bird leg come from? Yeah.
0: Start scratching on the ground. <laughs> also,
2: bonus points for the uh, Marvel, uh, Marvel Comics Super Special number four with the Beatles being pimped repeatedly throughout the book. I like that as well. So that was <laughs> cool. So yeah, overall, I, I dug this. I really did. I got a kick out of it, and uh, I'm going to have to jump in and read some more Defenders because this was a hell of a lot of fun. Uh, just you know, primarily for just the fun cameos and everything. I I will admit I kept up uh, with everybody except the 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 one that got me was uh, on the very last page, very last panel. I think Paul.
1: What'd you call him, Paul Garak or something? Who the hell is this? Agak. Who is that? I think he was, if I remember right, he was introduced in an issue of Daredevil, and he's he's from another planet. Yeah.
0: Obviously, I don't, I don't,
1: I don't he, remember too much of his background or anything. You can go back there from anytime, Daredevil. from like you know when Daredevil was in that those dark days in like issue sixty something around there.
2: Uh, okay,
1: I don't yeah. know. I've been I've been reading Daredevil from the beginning, and
2: uh I, I, they're all dark days so far. I have not. I have yeah. yet to hit a really really good story so far. So, but well, I'm hanging with. Mike,
1: it. Have you met Mike Murdoch? Oh Jesus, yes. <laughs> <laughs> i love mike murdoch oh god though. are you serious
0: i am well, dead. He, se- it's a balls he's, funny.
1: he's the- funny in that silver age way he yeah. talks you know he talks like in that stan lee way <laughs> uh, you look, know, trying to sound cooler than he is
0: look here's the thing i appreciate any guy that can convince the girl that he likes that he's another guy there is something about that that is appealing on like my you know early twenties level, so and you know but not everything in that era is brother can you lend a hand you know like you know a deep and meaningful story that's actually really kind of cool so I, I think I think Daredevil. And I've heard other people say this, so I I don't want to seem like I'm trying to rip them off. But Daredevil seemed to be like a really cool concept in search of a of, of a of a direction for most of his career.
1: I will totally agree with that. Yeah, pretty much. You know, I mean, I there there were runs in Daredevil that I enjoyed, particularly in the uh, you know around one ten, one twenty, around there. I liked some of the stuff, but Daredevil really didn't find his legs until Frank Miller got a hold of him. I have to- yeah.
0: I mean, uh, there's there's fun stuff, but it's not like Daredevil was my realization that I don't need to read every issue of a character's right. history
1: because yeah, he had good stories and good storylines, but they weren't consistently that way. They they'd always have the occasional clunker. I looked up Tagak on Marvel Database, and it says he's a hero from another dimension who originally came to Earth in pursuit of a criminal from his world, and first clashed with, then teamed up with Daredevil. Hmm. He was later one of the group of adventurers who applied to become members of the super team, the Defenders. <laughs> it shows shows you how much of a history he has. That wow. This, this issue is significant in his past. Wow.
0: Are we all prepared for the angry email from J. David Weeder about us talking about Daredevil though?
1: <laughs> but I, I love the character of Daredevil. I yeah. think he I think his series was very inconsistent. Well, I do have one nice thing to say about Daredevil is
2: that the thing that keeps me reading it is once colon came on, because I oh. what I, I slogged through it knowing that I was eventually going to get to Colon. And I was like, "You know, when I finally get the to colon, if it's not awesome, I'm not going to read it anymore. And it's been consistently awesome. I love the colon art. So, you know, that is that's a plus for it. And there was there was one story with the owl that I really did like that, uh you know, that had colon art. So, I mean, it, it's not all been horrible. It's been mostly horrible. But, you know, there has there have been some bright moments in there as well. It's just I'm ready to get past the Mike Murdoch crap at this point. But
0: yeah, he kills him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. they <laughs> that, That's actually a pretty good issue, too, if I'm remembering it correctly.
2: Back to this issue though, uh, the defenders one one last question, if it hadn't been Valkyrie, if it had been like basically any other character, do you think that the Hulk's frisbee would have gone straight through them?
1: Yes. I think that's the way they're presenting it. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. I like that. But, that's a great panel. Like, as as I questioned it in my synopsis, I don't think a frisbee has the mass or the, the durability to do that. I think the frisbee itself would get crushed in the attempt.
2: Yeah, or burn up.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's made of unstable molecules.
1: So. <laughs> it's an unstable frisbee. It's, it's, it's an Edmantium uh, frisbee.
2: <laughs> Alright, are we ready to grade? I think so.
1: Um, start with the cover. I think this is an iconic cover, I think it fits the definition of what I talk about when I say I you know that I'm looking for iconic covers to give A's uh, I don't think anybody looks particularly bad on it at all. I think everybody looks pretty good in fact. I am usually not a big fan of the stark white background, but I think it does work in contrast. This almost looks like a shot of Nighthawk like if you were telling a story of him having gone insane and all right. this would, be, would be figments of his imagination. Uh, I like it a lot. I'm going to give the cover an A. Uh, The interior art, I think, is really solid. I don't see much in the way of anything that I don't like. Uh, I'm going to say a B-plus on the interior art. And the story, I think this is a classic. I think it's funny. I think it's fun. There are some dopey things in it, but I think they play to the story. And anytime he has a character that's kind of out of character in the way they're acting. I think it's for the greater comedy aspect of it. And I'm fine with that. So I'm going to give the story an A and overall, I'm going to give the book an A. Cool.
0: Mike? Um, I'm going to give the cover an A too, basically for every reason that Paul said. Um, I I think it's one of those covers that's poster worthy. This is, (laughs) this is something that I would like to see. Not maybe I wouldn't put it on my wall, but it would be kind of cool to have in the collection. Uh, the artwork, I'm going to give a B, simply because the inking is a little off, but the story is a definite A. So it's just, I, I would give the whole thing an A-.
2: So I, I like the cover, but there are a couple of wonky bits on here. Nighthawk, strangely, with him being the, the largest character on there, he looks a little funny to me, and I can't quite pin down why. I guess it's just the position of his arm behind his head and everything. I, I can't tell if he's screaming, he's yawning, he has an excedrin headache. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. And uh, Iron Man looks like a Tuska Iron Man to me. But <laughs> most of the rest of it I really like. I, I like the fact that it's done by Romita and Layton. So you've got, you've got Herc versus uh, the Hulk there, which looks really good because it's Layton. Uh, I do like that. And the, the overall cover reminds me a lot of the comedy issue of uh, What If... So I I like it. It's just I I think it could use a little refinement. Um, I'm going to say a B plus on the cover. I I do like it. I think it's really cool. Um, The interior art I like a lot. I I like Sal Buscema, and I I guess I must be a bit of a Jim Mooney apologist because I, I don't. I'm not bothered by Jim Mooney. I think a lot of that is because. Uh, Again, I have kind of a a sentimental childhood attachment to his art because he was doing Spider-Man right about the time I was uh, discovering Spider-Man and and buying Spider-Man full-time. He was doing uh, Spectacular, I believe. So I've always kind of liked that that stuff that he did. So I, I like this. I don't know that they're necessarily a great team together, but I, I'm not bothered too much by the art in this. Although I, I will agree that the inking is a little heavy. It's, it's a little thick and, and it, it gives the art a darker tone uh, in some instances than I think it needs to have with it being a, a lighthearted comedy issue. Um, So on the R, I think I'm going to go a B minus on the R. It could be a little uh, more refined, but I do enjoy it. And the story itself, I'm going to give a straight up A because I thought it was fun. I I thought it was fun and I thought it was funny and I I enjoyed it. I thought it was it was really cool. And uh, like I say, bonus points for a swift kick in the ass. I'm always up for that. So, well, not personally, but I mean, I like to watch other people get one. Uh, and an overall grade of uh I'm gonna say an A minus as an overall grade. I thought you it was know, good.
0: You kept saying a Tusca Iron Man. I kept th- thought you kept saying a Tuscan Raider Iron Man, and all <laughs> I could think of as Alleginness saying that you know Iron Man walk in single file to hide their numbers. <laughs> uh
2: that's funny. All right, I guess that brings us to my masterpiece, right? <coughs> All <laughs> right. Welcome to,
0: to the 90s, folks.
2: <laughs> All right. So for my book, let me just pull it up here real quick because I don't have it pulled.
1: Whoa, whoa, If you're going to pull it up, whoa! will <laughs> do that one with us around.
2: <laughs> here we go. Oh, my goodness. You're going to like this. Well, or maybe not. All right. So the cover proclaims Malibu does it again. Uh, does what they don't specify or if it is even a good thing i don't know but anyway they're doing it again this folks is the protectors number one this is cover dated september 1992 i could find no information on this pretty much anywhere that i looked and i will admit that i didn't look terribly damn hard um Let's see, original cover price on it was $1.95 at a time when other comics were $1.25, so I thought that said a lot, too. Cover artist, at least according to the inside front cover, the cover artist was Mike Miller, Um, but it's weird because the signature that's on it looks like it says a different name completely, so I don't know, I was kind of confused by that. Anyway, the cover on this depicts... Large and in charge, you've got the central figure here, a guy called Manowar. So here's the, the reason I chose this book is I have some weird issues of Malibu comics that just kind of somehow fell into my lap. I don't know if it, it was a collection I bought or something somebody sent to me or what. But I have an issue of Manowar. I think it's issue seven, if my, my memory holds, that has a great Dan Jurgens cover on it. And that's the issue I actually wanted to cover. But I cannot find a digital copy of that damn book to save my life. This one, I just happen to have a digital copy of. And since it had the same character, I figured, well, screw it. I'll just do this one instead. Uh, I have no idea if the other issue would be better than this or what. I I didn't read it. But anyway, you've got uh, the character Man of War And then you have four insets all around him of other characters, one of which is completely obscured by the UPC box. I thought that was funny. It says, All-Star Origin Issue, The Menace of Mr. Monday. So that's what the story, it says, the story is going to be called on the cover. But, of course, that's not the name of the story. When we get inside, the name of the story inside is actually When Heroes Gather." It was written by R.A. Jones with art by Thomas Derenik, is the penciler. And the inker is just simply listed as Diodato. No first name, but I'm presuming, of course, that this is Mike Diodato, although it was kind of tough to tell by the art in this, uh, if it was or not. If it is, it must be early Diodato. So the story starts, Washington, D.C. With a sound like Heaven's Own Fury, the east wall of the 12th Precinct police station explodes inwards. Four officers die before the sound can reach their ears. More will follow. Welcome to the Capitol. This is actually how the book starts. It's the Steel Army, the cop with a non-regulation haircut cries as he and his brother police officers open fire on a group of helmeted, armor-clad bad guys with the apparent power to make their torsos expand and contract erratically from panel to panel. The cops' bullets prove ineffectual and they are then fried by the Steel Army for their efforts. All except one lone tough guy who doesn't want to hear the message the Steel Army has for him to pass on to his superiors. That is until their leader, the Steel Face Mama Mr. Monday, arrives. Now this guy's pretty cool, but I still liked him better when he was the spooky space kook on Scooby Doo, but I digress. Anyway, he tells the officer, you will listen to me, and the cop does, looking for all the world like he's pissing his pants while he's doing so. When the authorities arrive, tell them that <laughs> tell them all they have seen thus far is merely a prelude. Only the opening volleys in this war, says Mr. Monday. Now, based on the art, I'm thinking this cop is so friggin' scared that the quote-unquote authorities are going to wonder later what in the hell Mr. Monday meant about a volleyball war, but again, I digress. Next, we're treated to a badly written newscast that tells us that Monday's attacks are the first quote-unquote superhuman activity since the summer of 1986 when the small Virginia town of Brinkston was raised by a super people fight. It also informs us that unfortunately, uh, uh, the unfortunately named president of the USA, are you ready for this? Brian O'Brien, yeah, I'm not making that up, remains a virtual prisoner inside the White House. That night, inside the heavily guarded presidential residence, the commander-in-chief receives a visit from a grim-visaged intruder who tells him, we need to talk. Three weeks later at Arlington National Cemetery, Philip Reinhardt stands before the grave marker of one of his friends from a time long ago when he was the hero known as Nightmask. There he meets the granddaughter of his dead friend and promises to tell her stories of the granddad she never knew. He is then taken to see the president regarding the Golden Age, and he remarks to himself that he's been waiting two years for this day. Reinhardt is taken to the USS Jefferson, an aging naval vessel in permanent dock, and, after racially insulting his limo driver, meets with the president and the chairman of domestic affairs regarding a super team they're putting together. Reinhardt is placed in charge of the team, but it turns out the president has already been busy recruiting members. In fact, some of them are on their first training mission right now. We cut to a seedier side of Washington and catch up with Man of War and Ark as they beat the holy hell out of some lowlifes. Then they get an assist from Airman and Gravestone and it's all wrapped up. Later on the Jefferson, Reinhardt meets with the heroes, minus the mysterious Gravestone who's buggered off to somewhere else, about their newly formed team. They are party crashed by Vibe, uh, I mean uh, the new Nightmask, who is actually Reinhardt's son And with the gang all assembled, Man of War frets about the qualities, or lack thereof, of his new teammates. Elsewhere, the president tells Gravestone they'll need more members. Even the ferret? asks Gravestone. Even the ferret, responds the president. And that is Protectors number one. Uh, I don't know shit about these characters. Uh, I'd never read this before. As I said, these issues just kind of fell into my lap. Um, so, you know, my comments are just kind of scattered and, uh, and stream of conscious type of thing. Uh, I love the inside front cover because the art is by Jerry Bingham. And I'm thinking if you can get Jerry Bingham to do any sort of art at all, why the hell didn't you get him to do the whole book? Because he's a hell of a lot better artist than the team that you got for this thing. Um, The art's not horrible, but it's extremely amateurish, so I understand that it's an independent title and all that sort of thing, but yeah, I mean, I can see where this has seeds of greatness, especially if the inker really is Mike Diodato. Mike Diodato went on to be one of the greats, in my opinion. I really like Diodato's work. This ain't great Diodato. Uh, the other guy, Tom Dar- uh, Thomas Darren, kind of rings a bell, but I couldn't tell you where the hell else I've seen his art. Again, I, I see seeds of greatness in there, but uh, this is not great art. It- it's extremely amateurish, and I'm I'm kind of frankly I'm shocked that they went to press with with art this rough and amateurish, especially charging a price well above and beyond what other books on the stand were charging at the time um that said you know it's it's not bad i i can see kind of where this is going and it it was intriguing enough that i mean i don't know that i'd run right out and and seek out the next issue but um it it's interesting in premise because having done more research on this than what the issue itself gives you what this is, is that these are existing um, Golden Age characters that are, have basically uh, fallen into the public domain, and Malibu's now picking them up and, and repurposing them and putting them all in the same team together, giving many of them new um, costumes and, and sort of thing, and, and making a team out of them. So uh, these are evidently characters that that have existed um, you know, prior to this, and, and now they're kind of uh, pulling them together and uh, making—I guess—in a, s- a weird sort of way, making them like a, a legacy team or something like that. It, it was the vibe I got from this. I don't know at this point in the story if any of these people are the actual original Golden Age people, except for maybe gravestone which I, I i'm led to believe was actually called the phantom in the golden age but they didn't want to call him that here because they didn't want to confuse have people confuse him with um lee fox the phantom so they changed his name to gravestone which is eh, it's an okay name i guess um but yeah i mean it was interesting um but it it, it didn't you know it didn't rock my world or anything um there was actually a poster that was part of this issue in the poster. Again, the poster was done by Jerry Bingham. Now I dig the hell out of Jerry Bingham. Um, for those that may not be familiar with Jerry Bingham, um, he did one of the, of the demon Batman books. I, I forget if it was son of the demon. I think I, that's the one I want to say that he did, but yes. he did one of them. What was it? Son of the demon. Mm hmm. And, uh, and I thought the art in that was fantastic. I, I like Jerry Bingham a lot. And again, this poster is great. And the poster shows, um, the characters that are in this particular issue and characters that will eventually join the series as well. Like amazing man, for example. And I love the poster, the poster is damn cool. So, Again, if they could get Jerry Bingham for this, I don't know why they didn't just get him to do the issue. I don't know, maybe they couldn't afford him or something. But you know, I'm I'm hard pressed to think. You know, what the hell else was Jerry Bingham doing in 1992 that he couldn't do this? So I, I don't know. I, I'm curious about that. But anyway, um, what did you guys think? Had you had you read this before? And and you know, what did you think?
1: I had not read this before, and. Uh, to be honest, as I was reading it, I, I was having a tough time maintaining interest in it. So <laughs> it really wasn't doing anything for me. and you know, Maybe it was a lack of familiarity with the characters, and maybe it was the, as you said, amateurish artwork. Uh, this almost felt like a little bit of a chore for me to read, to be honest. Uh, the one thing I, I just keep turning to and I, and I get a kick out of is uh, I'm thinking the president might be related to Clayface, because on page 11... <laughs> He turns from Clint Eastwood looking into Andy Griffith.
2: <laughs> well, that, that's Reinhardt. But, yeah, I do see exactly what you're saying because, yeah, yeah, he does. All of a sudden he gets real – yeah, he does. He looks like Andy Griffith. He you're right. Matt- Matlock. Yeah he, yeah, he goes from Clint Eastwood to Matlock. You're right. He very much does. Well, you know what this reminded me of a lot, Paul? Uh, remember when I, I think it was just you and I. I don't I don't
1: recall anybody else being on the I'm gonna, episode. I'm jump on that and say it's it's the Rich Buckler issue that we had. done. Yes, together, correct. Yeah, it. Ta- what was what was the name of that?
2: Uh, I'm trying to remember the Mighty Crusade. Mighty Crusaders. Yeah, it reminds me of that, but but done. We didn't like that one either. Well, <laughs> see, that's the thing though, is that I I don't I wouldn't go so far as to say I liked this. But I didn't dislike it because I see the potential in this a hell of a lot more than I saw the potential in the Mighty Crusaders. So go with me on this. You you might not agree, but I, I kind of think this is like taking the same concept as Mighty Crusaders and doing it maybe not right, but better. I think this was done much better than Mighty Crusaders because essentially they were both kind of doing the same thing, taking... Golden Age characters that had fallen into the public domain and bringing them back and making a team out of them for, you know, for the new millennium or whatever the hell, you know. And I think this one is is slightly more successful in what it's doing in that aspect than Mighty Crusaders was. But the one thing that they both suffer from is neither one of them really are giving you proper introductions to the characters to make you uh, invested in them right out of the gate. This one, I think gave you a little more, but not a lot. I mean, the only one that I feel like we really got a a proper introduction to was Reinhardt sort of just because, you know, through being able to, you know, do the comic book, reading their thoughts thing, you know, you find out that he was the night mask, you know, back in the golden age. And then, we're introduced to his son, who's the new night So there's a little bit of something there with those two characters, but that's about it. Um, the one character I really wanted to know something about just because I, I think he's got an awesome look was, um, man of war. And again, we get a little tiny bit, but not, not a lot, not, not enough in my opinion. But anyway, I, I want to hear from Mike. Cause Mike, was this the one you were saying you scored for 50 cents.
0: Yeah, I scored the entire series of The Protectors for 50 cents an issue. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't even say scored the entire series for 50 cents. <laughs> the, uh, the,
0: there is actually an issue that has a bullet hole in it throughout the entire issue. Oh, wow. um, it's one of those 90s things. Uh, Malibu was, as the name suggests, a, a, a Southern Californian publisher. They were the ones that put out the first image books. They uh, they struck a deal with Rob in the gang, and around this time that this issue came out is when the image guys were like, screw that. I don't need you anymore, and they went off and did everything on their own, <clears throat> and you can kind of tell that this was Malibu's attempt to do an image book because I don't know how many image books you guys have read, I unfortunately have read a lot of them. I've read <laughs> all of, I read all of the original miniseries, you know, Cyberforce, force, Wildcats, young blood brigade, um, whatever the other blood one was. Blood strike. The, Bloodstrike, thank you. And they all began like this. You had a government organization, heroes that belonged to that organization, them fighting something somewhere and shadowy stuff happening in the background. So when I'm reading this, I am reading every image book that was (laughs) with the exception of Spawn and Savage Dragon that was published at the beginning of that publish uh, of that, uh, of that whole thing. Now, having said that, I like that they tried to pull an eclipse here because that's what eclipse comics did in the mid eighties. They took a bunch of public domain heroes and put out new new titles. This ain't Airboy, though, which was an excellent series that I read the entirety of. So I think there's a lot here. I, I agree with Scott. There is a lot of potential here for a really good government-funded group of superheroes. Unfortunately, nobody that wrote these books had any idea how the government actually worked. <laughs> or, or, or these organizations. <laughs> Because they all do the same, uh, the same BS with it. Where you know, you, you you know, the president is there, but he's being you know. Uh, was there something in the nineties? And, and you guys will probably remember this better than some. Was there this thing in the nineties where every action film the president was said to not have any real power, and there was already always somebody in the background with more power than the president? Mm-hmm. Or am I just imagining that?
2: <laughs> that does seem familiar.
0: So. Um, I think this book is a script polish and an art polish away from being something really cool. Uh, R.A. Jones is a name I remember from a, as a reviewer from Amazing Heroes. So this guy's been kicking around comics for a while now, reviewing comics. I expected more from his script. I think he was trying to do something here, and for whatever reason he couldn't make it pop the way it should and i think most of that falls on how uh, and, and scott you're absolutely right the amateurish the art was the, you know they've got the basics of a story you know the, the guy can put a page together but i think because his anatomy is so weak in in most cases, and that he couldn't keep consistency from one panel to the other. I mean, on page what page is this? Page twenty two. That dude goes from looking like Robin to Colossus in four panels. <laughs> and you vibe? Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Um, I, and and why is General Thunderbolt Ross the president of the United States in this? <laughs> Um, I remember though, being really interested in these characters and in the ferret back in 92, because I went to a, a birthday party that the comic shop the uh, the first comic shop I ever went to had a, a fifth birthday party for itself. Uh, and they had like, you know, pr- comic writers and artists there. and they gave out these gift bags. And they were full of these Malibu press things where every month they would have a little comic book sized thing promoting all of their wares. And this is where I learned a lot about a lot of the early image books, because every month they would cover another image book. And I remember seeing things for the ferret and the protectors. And it kind of reminds me of that one book. I don't know if either of you remember the Hero Alliance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I was confusing them with this. So I was like, because I have all of those, too. I got those cheap on eBay because i was just kind of fascinated by that entire, you know, the, these other Justice League type hero groups from other publishers. Right. Um, I, I, you know, I, I hate to keep repeating myself. I think this book has a lot of potential. And it's like one of those things where you could take this and actually turn it into something today. I think you can make a very good series out of these characters. I just don't – and maybe I need to read more. Maybe, like, by issue three, this dude, these people hit their stride, and this book is amazing. Uh, I haven't read them yet, so I can't tell you that. But based on this, I'm just like, oh, God, man, this is like Brigade number one all over again, except I don't hate myself at the end of this. <laughs> So that that's my snarky commentary.
2: (laughs) Well, we ready for grades. All right. Well, it's, it's weird. Um, yeah, you know, the cover, I, I want to like the cover because the the thing that made me interested in, in any of this in the first place was Man of war because I, I like his look. I like his costume and everything. but the thing that that caught my attention with him was, as I say, the, the cover to Man of War and, and like I say, I think that was issue seven um, by Dan Jurgens. He just made it look really, really cool. You have the same guy in the same costume, and everything here on this cover. I want to like it, but there's just too much not working. The anatomy is weird. I just realized that his mask is not actually attached to anything at all because there's no strap going under his chin. So having it tied up with that giant ribbon in the back does absolutely nothing if somebody can just pull it right off of his head. Um, the anatomy is really weird and wonky. He's too bulgy and veiny and all these other weird things. He's actually standing in the middle of a flag, which is a major no-no to me. And anytime that the UPS box is blocking the face of one of your characters, you have failed as a cover. So I'm going to give the cover an F. I am not at all crazy about the cover on this one. Uh, I think it's a fail. Interior art. Keeping in mind that it is an independent publisher, keeping in mind that, you know, this this is, you know, probably these guys at the beginning of their career and everything. I, I don't want to be overly harsh, but the art is really, really weak. There's only a couple uh, instances in the entire book where I think there's anything approaching good looking art or dynamic art or anything like that. And it mostly involves man of war. Uh, in the brief fight sequence right in the middle of the book. Much of the rest of it is just extremely rough and amateurish, and people do radically change look throughout the book. If it, if it weren't for the fact that the president has a mustache and Reinhardt does not, I think it would be very tough to tell these two characters apart from one another. So that that was really weird as well. Um so unfortunately with the interior art I think I'm going to go a D um on the art I would go a D minus uh except um like I say there's there's just one or two brief little instances in the in the fight scene in the middle that look okay uh and I can see some some potential in there the story I mean we've read this story before. This is very, very similar to, uh, that issue that, that Paul and I were talking about that we did before, uh, the rich Buckler one. But as I say, I, I think it's done much better than that. I do see potential in both the story and in some of the characters and everything. So, with that in mind, I'm going to go a C plus. I think it's better than your average story of this type, and and better uh, than the average, um, you know, '90s independent book that you know was coming out at this time, at least that I've been privy to. So I know those are not epic grades. Um, I think overall, though, for a grade on the book, I, I think I would have to say about a, a, a C minus. It has great potential. It could be so much better than it is. But uh, overall, it was just kind of interesting as opposed to, okay, yeah, I'm hooked and I'm really, you know, I'm intrigued or whatever. Uh, I think the poster is the best thing the book's got going for it. The poster is damn awesome. I like the poster, but the book itself is like, meh, it's okay. What would you guys think?
0: Uh, I'm just gonna give it a straight D across D's across the entire thing. The, okay. the, the, cov- the cover is disappointing, like you said. The interior artwork is disappointing, and the story just didn't grab me the way I wanted it to. Um, I, I, I think there's a lot of potential here, uh, and I and while you were talking, I was doing a little googling, and I found out that not only did Ferret get his own series, uh, mm-hmm. and Mana War lasted seven issues, um, Gravestone apparently also had a solo seven issue series as well. So, oh, did he? Huh. So I guess they were the big breakout hits uh, <laughs> uh, of these characters. It was just, it, 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 This isn't. this is everything wrong with early 90s independent comics wrapped in one <laughs> issue. And, you know, that's why I'm giving it a D across the board.
2: I do actually have a couple issues of the ferret and I have them digitally. So I I might bring that to the table at some point just cuz because he has such a, a name that lends itself to to mock and ridicule. I want to bring <laughs> that to the to the show at some time. Well, I might be busy
1: that night. <laughs> yeah
0: watching your hair anybody who's anybody who's interested no 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 Scott you and I'll do it no seriously we'll do a back to the Vid special <laughs> with you and me going through all of the
1: protector stuff that'll be brilliant oh god that'll just break, break the download number <laughs> Any, anybody who's interested in hearing the episode where we talked about mighty crusaders I took a look it's episode number 178 from 2014
2: Having recently re-listened to that, I can tell you, if nothing else, it's a hoot to listen to.
1: Okay. I don't really remember what our take on it was. I remember we didn't particularly like we, it. We did not dig beyond, it. Beyond that, I don't remember. On this book, I would say I'm going to give the cover a D-, minus because I think it really has very little going for it. The Interior Arts... I feel like it's an F and I want to give it higher just to be nice <laughs> cuz I don't really see any reason to be mean but I just it's it's very inconsistent it's very amateurish as you said it it almost looks like something that like a high school kid would put together Yeah and the story it didn't really do anything I, I, like I said I, I kind of felt it was a slog reading this thing so I'm going to say a D-minus on the story as well, and I'm going to give the book a D-minus. There's really nothing about this that I enjoyed particularly. Uh, the, the, the best thing I could say about it is I still always enjoy getting a chance to read new stuff. <laughs> That's a very diplomatic uh, thing to say. <laughs> somebody, somebody shot my dog full of the uppers right now. It's,
0: <laughs> a, she's, it's a Butterface she, comic.
2: mike are you familiar with the uh with the cover i was talking about though from uh from man of war
0: the dan jurgens one gorgeous isn't it cool really nice jurgens was like at his apex in the 90s i mean he's still doing good work now and his writing on action comics has made me love superman in the comics again um but, uh, you know, like I, I have made a concerted effort of collecting Jurgen's stuff from the 90s. So I bought like his entire run of Solar Man of the Atom, which I haven't read yet. Now yeah, I got to track this down. Yeah. Now I got to track this down because this was around the time period that right after the death of Superman, where he was branching out and doing a lot of different things. He was on, he launched Sensational Spider Man over at Marvel. Uh, and Solar, Man of the Atom, it seemed like he was really kind of stretching his legs outside of DC Comics, and now I kind of want to collect all that stuff just to have it.
1: Just to have more stuff that one day people are going to say, what the hell am I supposed to do with these?
0: <laughs> Love yeah, them. Just to, Is just to kind against? of
1: take it full circle from what we talked about before. <laughs>
2: His run writing on uh, on Thor was really good too. If you want to read some some good
0: Dude Dan Trigan's writing, shoes. Yeah, holy crap! I have the first four trades. I'm looking forward. I'm going to dig into those around the time Ragnarok comes out, mm-hmm. and maybe do something with that. But I, I just it it it. I have heard nothing but good things about his Thor run.
2: It was fantastic. The only the only negative I've got is that. Then they brought in somebody else to to do the capper on the series, and it was pure shit. Um, and that was the only bad thing is that you know they basically you know his reward for having such an epic run on Thor was to bring somebody else at the end to ruin it with the last it story. Ellis, uh, I forget, but it was it was not good. I I don't think it was. It was it was somebody that. I can't remember his name. It's somebody I'm not crazy about. I just can't remember what his what his name well, that was. Us.
0: Disassembled, so
2: Yeah. Um, there you go. No, this this was the this was the story arc where supposedly it was it was really, really Ragnarok. And then of course, you know, as soon as the next Thor series launched, it was like, Nope, everybody's back again. I'm like, Oh good lord. But yeah it was it was not a good story but but Jurgen's run on on Thor was really good i've heard his cap run is really good too but i've only
0: read bits and pieces Ooh, of
2: that it is
0: excellent it is he he introduces a character named Protocide, who was the guy before Steve Rogers that they experimented with the super soldier serum and he is crazy hmm. and it, and it stretched into the annual. It was so good, especially when he started drawing the title, it really picked up. He, he had a really good handle on captain America. Um, and, but to be fair, when he started writing it, Andy Kubert was doing the artwork. So it's not like it was bad art before he took over. I just, I am a total Dan Jurgens mark. I will, I, I I will not apologize for it. Booster Gold. I feel bad that I don't like the Sun Devils. I'm such a fan <laughs> of the man, but I could not get through that series. Um, <laughs> like I'm like all the Warlords I'm keeping. I'm going to be keeping his Warlords. I'm going to be keeping his Green Arrow issues. I mean, I, I just didn't realize the, the, the width and breadth of, of, of his, you know, what he drew and wrote. Right. And so uh, I still have to read his Flash Gordon series. I've
2: heard interesting things about that. I like the art mm-hmm. in that. I, I don't know if I have any issues of that one, but I've heard interesting things about it. It's funny because I almost brought um, a while back we had done and I, I think Paul, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you and Bill did end up going ahead and doing the idea, but we had an idea trying to remember. Oh, I know what it was. It was for the year ender for 2016. We were going to do a final episode of the year where it was the final issues of certain series, but I think they did end up doing that. Anyway, I had chosen a book for that, but then I didn't make the episode, but the book I chose was actually the final issue of booster gold. And so, whenever I've chosen a book recently for episodes, and then I wasn't able to make the episode, I've gone ahead and saved the book just, you know, for later on. We can do like a, you know, like a scraps episode or something like that. And that was a book that I've I've kept on my iPad, just still intending to to cover in a show at some point. And I almost brought that one tonight. Now I kind of wish I had because protectors number one, yeah, not so much. Which <laughs>
1: one were you thinking of bringing?
2: Uh, Booster Gold, the uh, the final issue. Did You, got, you guys did a, a year-end episode of Final Issues, right? Yep. Yeah. That was the book I had chosen for that episode, but then I ended up missing the episode.
1: You were on assignment. Yeah. It's been great, guys. <laughs> Mike, thanks for coming on with us. It's always good talking to you, buddy.
0: Oh, always fun. Always great. And
2: I will speak to you both soon. Alright, take care.
0: Thanks again, Mike. Good evening. Oh, no problem. Scott, you and I are going to talk about Generation soon.
2: which you may find at www.2TrueFreaks.com. 2 True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiMonzo Corp of Milan, Italy, all rights reserved. Each and every month, the 2 True Freaks Network produces dozens of new and exciting episodes which regularly reach tens of thousands of loyal listeners worldwide. Sponsorship and or advertising opportunities are available. Inquiries may be made via email to two true freaks at gmail.com please take a moment to stop by the two true freaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts won't you thanks and we'll see you next week hey everybody what's up dr bill in the house